0: Hey, if you are a producer of craft spirits, you should have received an email from ACSA about completing the craft spirits data project. Now in its sixth year, the project is the chief economic data study for craft spirits producers, but we cannot do it without you. Please give us 10 minutes to complete the survey ASAP. Also, registration is now open for ACSA and craft spirits magazine's second annual craft spirits packaging awards, which is graciously sponsored by the Glass Packaging Institute, as well as our 8th Annual Distillers Convention and Vendor Trade Show. Check out americancraftspirits.org to learn more. Thanks.
1: I don't know if we're... Uh, just a lucky distillery. I still am not entirely sure why we exist anymore. Like, I mean, we we never had enough money to actually make it in this industry. And it, there's all these times where I'm like, yeah, Denord should not exist anymore. Like, we shouldn't have survived that and we shouldn't have survived this. But it always seems to be that, you know, right at with the point where I'm just like, ready to throw my hands up like there's something comes through, something comes through <laughs> and there, and it's just been like that. that was what 2020 was and then you know
0: having something like the fet work from the american craft spirits association and craft spirits magazine this is the craft spirits podcast i'm john page and today on the program rising from the ashes Our guests today are Chris Montana and Maria Kustritz of Minneapolis-based Dunord Craft Spirits. Kustritz is the distillery's production manager. Montana, who is also ACSA's immediate past president, founded the distillery in 2013 with his wife, Chanel. During the unrest of the George Floyd protest in late May of 2020, rioters broke into Dunord's warehouse and set fires. While the sprinkler system prevented the fire from destroying the building, the damage was vast. Fortunately, insurance covered most of the damage, and numerous fundraisers, including one started by ACSA, helped lead to the formation of the Dunord Foundation, which addresses racial inequities in the Twin Cities through numerous initiatives. One of those efforts in 2020 dispersed nearly $500,000 in emergency funds to dozens of local businesses. Our editor-in-chief, Jeff Cialetti, spoke to Montana and Custritz this summer in Louisville, Kentucky when they were in town for ACSA's Heartland Whiskey competition. They looked back on a dramatic year for the country, Minneapolis, and the distillery. They also discussed the dynamics of the team at Du Nord, what it was like for Montana to speak virtually before Congress this summer, and some updates about ACSA's Step Up Foundation. To start the conversation, Jeff asked Montana and Kustritz to talk about the process of rebuilding Denord.
1: So it's a pretty big question. I think maybe maybe Maria, you have a Huge first-hand... Question. I wanted to wait for your answer. Yeah, of course you did. I wanted to wait for yours. Been a year.
2: We can do this all afternoon if you want.
1: <laughs> Just the two of you back and forth. We probably, you know. will. You yeah. probably will. You probably will. kind of how it goes down. I will start and say some things and you can tell me what's wrong. I'll i think correct him. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, it's obviously, I mean, you talk about the last year, year and a half, really, yeah. and it's been bananas and really tough in some ways and really great in some ways. I mean, it's it, knowing that a lot of other distillers will potentially hear this, like I, I haven't really had the opportunity that I would like to have to express how amazingly thankful I am uh, to the distilling community for stepping up for us, you know, post uh, George Floyd being murdered and the damage that we had in our distillery, it was amazing. I mean, it brought tears in my eyes for weeks. And um, so, th- something like that, which is obviously in the context of something that's not so positive, um, was amazing. And I've never felt more supported. And at the same time, um, I also felt that support from from our staff. I mean, we kind of did this together. Like we all experienced this together and um, you know, Maria here got tear gassed two days in a row because I, <laughs> yikes. I was like, Hey, will you come out and, and help with this thing? And um, you know, and then when everything went crazy, I mean, it's, it wasn't that I was there doing all this stuff. It's that the Dinor was there and, and our staff was there and we all experienced this together. So um, that's not to say where we are going, but as far as like where we are coming from, that was a. Uh, um,
3: yeah. I mean, yeah, you just lead, lead off with the heavy question right away. Well, I yeah, mean, guess, well, that's the <laughs> thing. Let's get the hard <laughs> stuff out of the yeah. way. It's
2: going to be the. Well, like, the,
3: cause the last year has just. I think you need to be sober
2: for this part anyways. Completely,
3: completely, completely <laughs> changed you <laughs> I mean. At the end of this glass, like, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I, I just would say that, yeah, it. The last year has completely changed to Nord, I would say. Like, turning point, there's like a before and an after. And, and one of the big turning points, or one of the big parts of that was that we did all experience it together, both professionally at work, but we all lived in that neighborhood. I still live in that neighborhood. But we were all, I mean, the three of us that were there the most, four of us, Angie too, I mean, we were all within We all live within a mile or two of the distillery so there was every i i've never had i've never been through a you know global crisis like that where i was like this is so intimately connected to work for me it's like tied to du nord because we were such everything happened right there but yes like chris said we went through it together it was it's been an, a weird spot where we had these terrible global events happen that turned out to be like launching pads for Dunord in some ways, the hand sanitizer from the pandemic. And then everyone who reached out after George Floyd, I mean, it's like, feels
1: very weird. Yeah. And, and also keeping in mind, like pandemic came first. And so when we had George Floyd, we're all in this hyper isolated situation. Yeah. Right. And, you know, we're just going back to my apartment and just kind of sitting there and staring at the wall and being like, all right, you know, this is my life. I mean, we couldn't, we couldn't do anything, couldn't go anywhere. And then to have uh, George Floyd be murdered. And then the, it was, it was almost like the opposite suddenly happened. Yeah. Like we felt like we were like
2: we not been- only
1: so connected to each other, but all these people were so connected to us. Mm-hmm. And there was some, I think some pressure that came with that, but it also was, I think, refreshing. I think yeah. if we hadn't have had it, like I you, you can't play it back. You can't play history to a, you know, a different tune. But like if if that hadn't been the case, if we if still felt as isolated as we did, like you could just imagine it would have been how much, so of a shit much show harder. Was. <laughs> I mean, we had two weeks of
3: running a food shelf with 100 volunteers a day showing up and being out at protests like we were all wearing masks. Yes, but we were definitely not six feet away from each other, you know, and we just couldn't be. Like, I feel like for those two weeks, for those three weeks, really, like the week after George Floyd got killed, and then the the two weeks uh, of running the food shelf after the the fire. I mean, we needed our community, right? Like, and everybody showed up, and yeah. yeah.
2: Um. So you know, between then and now, um, could you contrast any of the feelings, the emotions now that you've had some temporal distance from it? Um, like how would you contrast? like, what were you feeling at that time and what are you feeling now? Especially when you consider, um, we've had the Derek Chauvin trial and that kind of added another layer to it, at least from, you know, the, the George Floyd side of things. So, um,
3: Well, I will say watching the trial, so we watched the verdict, the production staff all watched the verdict together. And in Minneapolis, it felt like everybody just exhaled that night because there was this acknowledgement of like, this doesn't make everything better. This doesn't mean that much has changed, but it just felt like finally for a night, you could just like see people's shoulders relax. You could, you could feel the weight come off of of everybody in the city, you know, and and leading up to that, we had had two weeks of National Guard on the street corners. We had had, you know, it was just like it was awful. It was everybody was like getting re-traumatized from last summer, and and yeah, I mean it it I've been so thankful though that I get to go to work at a place where we don't pretend like nothing happened, you know, like having friends who who had to go through that and and not talk about it at work or they're dealing with clients who are across the country who are like, oh, every day is like Groundhog Day, we get up and it's just the same. And we're like, no, <laughs> it's, it's not. <laughs> um, but since then, I mean, it, Minneapolis is still, I would say on edge, not as acutely as it was but the cops keep killing people Uh, that hasn't changed we we keep trying to do 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 our little part at work to be good citizens of minneapolis but i mean you know things just aren't as acute i would say is probably the biggest contrast
1: yeah I, i would second all of that i mean in the lead up to the trial another brother got killed Right. So like right before mm-hmm. we were not a lead up to the trial, but during in the lead up and to like the verdict, before, right. Yeah. We had a, a you know, people Brooklyn yeah. center, right. Which is just um, just North of Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. So we, the amount, it, it's not just that we all read everybody was on edge because we were waiting. I mean, we've, we've watched this tape play out over and over and over again. It always ends the same way. And so I think we all were prepared for it to end the way that it has in, in, in the past. But then on top of that, You knew that, you know, this is everybody loves their city. Right. We obviously love ours. I mean, where we grew up and it's, it's, um, I was getting myself to a place where I could see it burn again. Mm -hmm. And I think we all were. Yeah. And so there was that added piece to it because if, if justice was not served, there was going to be a reaction, yeah. right? And and the thing is, we're talking about Minneapolis being on edge and I don't, you know, it's hard for me to read on, on other cities, but um, I think the the tolerance for bullshit in Minneapolis is about zero at this point. yeah. And so, <laughs> you know, it's, that city's going to be on edge. And yeah. the thing is, it should be on edge because we haven't, you know, one guy, now we've got three others who are, you know, going through their trials, but one guy is going to jail. Like one guy's going to jail. Like we didn't change anything. One guy went to jail, and yes, for that one night, like we all took a breath. But we're still we're still where we were, you know, as far as the actual infrastructure. So our position hasn't materially changed, and so it it, it's going to be tough for a while. Yeah. Yeah, and it should be. I think people need to be a little uncomfortable.
3: I, well, and when we yeah, walk agreed. into our distillery now, um, one thing that has come out of the last year is we've got these two pallets of bottles that were burned in the fire and we've saved them. We're going to turn them into art at some point. Some kind
1: of <laughs> some
3: yeah, but in the, mean, in the meantime, they're in the distillery. So anybody who comes in like vendors or people who just come in for whatever meeting, you know, they see those bottles and it, they are forced to talk about George Floyd being murdered. And like, you can tell some people are, don't have conversations about race at their workplace. And like, that's not the case at that... no hard... <laughs>
2: Um All right, we can move on to, to lighter, other... lighter <laughs> things. Well, let's, let's, <laughs> I don't want it to, be, it doesn't have to all be the, the heavy stuff. Um, but as far as, you know, you, you recently, um, presented before Congress recently. Yeah. So what was that like?
1: I mean, it was virtual, but I mean- Yeah, it was virtual. It it, it was an honor. I mean, you know, had an opportunity. Now this this was in, uh, it was about the restaurant revitalization fund and some of the other programs that that we have relied on to stay around and that a number of other distillers have too. And um, really the need to fully fund that program and we were lucky enough to get some funding from it and i'm i'm happy about that but uh at the same time there was a there was clearly there was and is a continuing need because not everyone got in a restaurant certainly um distilleries straddle that line many of us do um, probably most of us do between and uh, not just servicing hospitality and so when hospitality hurts we hurt that way you know through wholesale but also being hospitality having cocktail rooms and was having event spaces and so um it, was an honor to be able to go there and just tell our story, but, but also remind Congress that we showed up. And when I say we, I'm not talking about Denard Nord craft spirits. I'm talking about distillers. Like there was a global pandemic and I don't know, I still don't know of a distillery that did hand sanitizer that didn't donate it. Right. I mean, we had to sell some to stay alive, mm-hmm. but Go to any distillery in America right now, and if they made hand sanitizer, then there are some group of first responders, homeless folks, people who couldn't afford it, that they supported. And this was at a time when you couldn't get the stuff and we needed it, right? And so when I say we stepped up, I think that we, the industry, stepped up and filled the hole as only we could. And that didn't have to go that way right? It didn't have to be that way. People could have been just as easy, like, say, I was like, look, we don't make this stuff, and stay home, and like, or make it, and just try to charge massive, massive, num- you know, uh, uh, prices to just, you know, I don't know, take advantage of the situation, and, you know, with, with anything, there are exceptions, but generally speaking, that's not what happened. What happened is that people stepped up, they helped out, and so when, when I had the opportunity to talk to Congress, I wanted to make sure that they knew that, Right? It's like, we did, you do what you're supposed to do, right? You're a part of a community. When the community does well, you do well. If the community's hurting, you have a job. I think you have a duty to stand up and do what you can with what you have. And so I thought Congress also needed to step up and do what they could with what they have to support, to support people who needed it. None of us asked for the pandemic. And if we were being responsible, then we were shut down. We were trying to be part of the solution, not the problem. And so I, I, it was an honor to be able to tell them, hey, show up for us, right? And so, you know, I, I don't know that I'll ever get another chance to do that and testify before Congress and even virtual, you know. It was fun to do because I, I think I did it in my, I think I was in my, like, <laughs> Oh no, was I was room? at the distillery. At the yeah, because I was thinking it was like, oh, if I was we at my house and they're just been, like the a shit ton of bottles <laughs> You know, my Wu Tang is forever sign hanging yeah. there. Um, but no, no, I actually was in the distillery. Yeah, you're right. Um, so whatever. I suppose people got to see some some fun copper and everyone yeah. always likes that. But but yeah, it was that was cool. It was a cool experience.
2: And I guess uh, since you said you mentioned stepping up. Let's segue into step oh, up. So yeah. uh, where where are we with that at this point, and um, how much of it could you talk about at this well, point? Well,
1: that's 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 the real question. Yeah. How much can I talk about? Here's what here's what I can say. Okay. Um, the the idea for step up goes back. It, it starts in the ACSA. It started when, quite frankly, when I joined the ACSA and. I remember going to my first conference and looking around and being like, yeah, there aren't any brown people in this room. And I obviously noticed that a number of other people don't. And so that's part of why I, I you know, joined the leadership and, and later ran for president is because I thought there was something we could do there. And one of the things I thought that we could do is come up with some kind of program that would get people not hired because they were a woman or because they were brown, but hired because of what they knew and what they could do and what they could contribute to that company. Because ultimately, if we, if the pipeline exists of those folks, then eventually they become part of the pool from which the new owners will come and the new execs will come. And that nugget of an idea, uh, post George Floyd, a number of people stepped up. I mean, a lot of people were reaching out to me and I'm not really qualified to speak on a lot of the things they were asking me to speak on, but a lot of people reach out and said, well, what can we do? And I was like, well, this is one thing. And at the time we were a little overloaded. I mean, we we're, we were kind of, we were, kind of we we're kind of doing <laughs> too much. Um, and so the fact that Step Up is around is not because of you know the the original push for it back in acsa it's because of everyone who took it and ran with it right it's talking to you know Paul Hutko at Few and him being like yeah we're just gonna do this and Johnny Jeffries and and some of the other folks who said yeah this we this is a moment we need to do our part. So where we are now is we have an amazing board. Right. The Step Up Foundation is a real thing. It's not a it's not a theory. It's not an idea. It's a real thing. The form that it has taken and the depth that it has taken, the amount of curriculum that's been built out. There's, you know, a, a committee of people who have been working, you know, since last year to put this thing together and they've built out a whole curriculum. We have some major donations that are coming in that I don't think I can say anything about now because I don't know when this no, is I gonna don't, this I don't this think is run, you know. but <laughs> um but Suffice to say, this is gonna be a partnership between micro, between macro, um, with the distribution tier. Um, Everyone's gonna be represented in this and it's really gonna be about our our industry. And I think that the the folks who, who have the opportunity to move through, truthfully, I want to go through this program, (laughs) but the folks who have an opportunity to go through this program are gonna see what it's like to run a micro distillery. They're not going in there to mop floors. They're gonna learn over the course of a year what it's really like to run a micro distillery. They're gonna learn what it's like to work in and run macro, right? They're also gonna learn what it's like to work in and, and run a distribution. And I don't know of anyone who has that experience. Like literally, no one of the folks I know in the industry have all of those pieces from the technical side to the business side to the marketing side to being on the other side—the people we sell to, the distributors. Um, I think that that we have a, a real opportunity, and I'm I'm so excited to be a part of that program. And the other folks who are, are really driving it—you know, the the board and behind the board, this massive committee of people who have put in so much work to build out the curriculum. I mean, it really is nuts if you think about. And say all right well what would you want to know to be like the super candidate for any distillery it's like well, there's a lot of shit. i mean like between how to make things to how to run things to you know even even the ethos part of it right um and and then also to say well we're going to add in the distribution tier something i can't speak on i mean it, we sell to them mm-hmm. you know we sit around amongst ourselves and complain about them right yeah. but we but we don't really know what their lives are like and what they're looking for how do they make money how do they you know go through their day i mean to put all of that together has taken so many people and so many hours and i'm not going to fall into the trap of trying to list everybody um but suffice mm-hmm. to say that it it has been and what i always say that things are an honor because they, they really have that i i felt so like i don't know just I've always had some big cheesy grin on my face, like thinking about what we've been able to do in this industry, and I didn't think that we would get step up done. Um, when I left ACSA, I haven't really left, you never leave ACSA, but, um, but when I handed things off, I wasn't really sure, you know, it was in our plan, but you know, budgets are fickle and is there gonna be money for this? And there wasn't, there still isn't. So we had to go out and find it, mm-hmm. but we've got dozens and dozens of people who are doing that work. It's not the work of, of Even a a small group of people now, it's it's the work of a large group of people, which is pretty dope.
0: It's
3: pretty dope. I just want us to get big enough so that we will be a place that like that person will want to come work at and be my boss someday.
0: (laughs) After a break, more from Jeff's conversation with Chris Montana and Maria Kustritz.
4: This podcast is a production of the American Craft Spirits Association and Craft Spirits Magazine. ACSA is the only registered national nonprofit trade group representing the U.S. craft spirits industry. Through conventions, webinars, publications, competitions, special programs, and more, it's our mission to elevate and advocate for the community of craft spirits producers. Learn more at AmericanCraftSpirits.org. Craft Spirits Magazine is the unparalleled resource for in-depth insight and intelligence for the entire craft spirits universe the bi-monthly digital magazine features the information and analysis that small independent spirits producers and allied businesses need to operate in today's complex craft beverage market to see our latest issue and subscribe for free visit craftspiritsmag.com
0: to start the final part of the program Jeff mentions that it's his first time interviewing someone in person for the Craft Spirits podcast, which launched near the end of 2020. Oh.
2: So this is kind of a little bit There's of a turning something. point, Ooh. right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Human
1: <laughs> contact. Yes.
2: Yeah. It's
1: coming back. Maybe Delta variant oh, might all
2: be. Oh, stop, stop, year. stop, stop, stop. You know, it everybody get, your shots. We'll get be. your shots. Get your shots and let us know whether we need a booster, like please soon. But, um, But yeah, hopefully, hopefully this won't be the last one I do in person. (laughs)
1: Yeah. No, I hope we're all alive next year. Like I hope.
2: That's, that's that's good. Yeah. That's, 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 that's a, yeah, that's a pretty like baseline thing to hope for. I think.
1: (laughs) 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 Blow bar. (laughs) Yeah. Seriously. So I part of, I mean, getting ready for convention, Mm -hmm. like, and, you know, mentally, physically, spiritually, like, I'm. it's, it's been so long. We've had, you know, you, the year has taught you what you take for granted, right? Mm-hmm. And like the little things. And it's always that way. It's the things that you don't expect. And then when they go away, then you're like, oh shit. Like, look at what that had to do with my life. Going to convention. So Maria has never actually never been. been to a convention, uh, but going to a convention, it's like this yearly opportunity to almost take a breath and just be like and be with your friends be with people who understand what you're doing because there's so many people who are like oh you work at a distillery you own a distillery it's like it's like that must just be awesome like everything must be great like you you deal with whiskey and barrels like whatever else must be worth it because that's that's so cool
3: i mean
1: and it, it, is cool. And it is it is it is <laughs> um but there's also, like, it's, it's still not, a job, it right? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's still like, you're still a janitor half the time. Like, there's still all this other stuff that goes on, and it's stressful, mm-hmm. right? And it's, you know, you're always, you know, craft distillers are always pushing the ball uphill, right? I mean, we're, it's going to be a long time until we're in an environment that's actually built for us, right? And so it's tough. It's a stressful gig. So having that opportunity just to get together with other people who, who can feel you on that level. And understand you, and you know also bring whatever special whiskey they've been working on, and you get to you know get to taste it under the table and everything like I mean it's yeah it's I've been looking forward to that for a while, and we're not quite there, right we've got i don't know how many months we are from it, uh, well right
2: now it's a four and a half I think yeah. four and a half
1: months that's all yeah. right that's a good time to get prepared, right yeah. Keep telling Maria about it, so I've probably Excited talked it to up make so some much new right? yeah and that, and that's what it is right it's the, it's the human part of it,
3: yeah.
2: How long have you been with Nord
3: Two and a half years. Okay, so.
2: Yeah, it's been almost that long since we've had a convention. Well, no, it's been, yeah. a, it's been about a year. and a, No, it has Sorry. been actually, because it was 2019, yeah, February 2019. So it's been well, almost exactly two and a half years.
3: Yeah. <laughs> like I heard about that one because I started bottling at Dunord in like February or March or something. I don't know what time of year that was, but it was like right after y'all had your convention. And yeah. then I started and then, you know, got a year in and thought, oh, I am sort of feel like I know what I'm doing a little bit and then everything, all the tables got flipped. Yep.
1: <laughs> so we haven't, we haven't done this, but, um, we all have the distinct pleasure here of hearing from one Maria Kustritz, who is the production manager at Denora. She's the one who actually makes stuff and is one of the coolest people that I know. I'm, you Know and I'm, and I'm Montana being is
3: one of my biggest fans. I'm
1: being very, I am one of your <laughs> biggest fans because Maria is we've we've had this and we have the luxury to do this because we're a small company and we can be weird and do what we want. Um, but we, we, Royal, we, I've always had the approach of hiring people for people, not necessarily for the specific skill that they can bring, right? You know, like I've someone who's made whiskey for 40 years is like, that's cool. But if you're an asshole, like then who cares, right? Like we don't want to hang with you. And so we've had this this luxury of being able to just hire cool people. And Maria is solidly one of the coolest people that I know, one of the best judges of character and one of the best leaders, even if she doesn't always give herself credit for it. Um, (laughs) One of the best leaders, truthfully, whether it is now I hope to keep, Maria in the fold with Nord forever, but I also wouldn't mind working for Maria at some point, and um, you know, hopefully one day there will be, you know, the Maria distillery somewhere, and she'll be doing awesome shit with that, because it's, it really, and, and it's, it's, it really is no BS that Nord in its current formation would not exist, right, during all the, I, uh, we, we passed George Floyd. Right? We, we made it past yeah. that. We're yeah. not in, talking about the bummer stuff. And I always tell the story because people need to fucking know it during, <laughs> during the, um, during the unrest. Right. And so we've been, so Tuesday we were out giving out hand sanitizer and water got really tear gassed. Yeah. I couldn't breathe. That sucked. Um, Wednesday went back out, got a little tear gassed again. Right. Thursday, we know everything's going crazy. The cops told us they had no plan. We knew that things were going to blow up. They moved the barricade to our distillery. So we knew that the protest was going to be there. We knew that they were, you know, basically throwing their hands up. It's like, this is going to go south quick. And we were all talking. We're like, all right, like, we're not, it's just stuff. Like, we're not going to be here. We got, we got to go. We told the cops to be like, look, there's a lot of booze in there. So if it's on fire, don't go in. And you're like, What's, whatever is going to happen is going to happen. Maria comes back when she's not supposed to come back, right?
3: Nothing was on fire yet at our distillery, to be clear. Not later, yet. No, but was- stuff in the neighborhood. But what happened was me and my girlfriend had been out biking around and in the neighborhood, and we had seen another, a barber shop on, on, um, one of the streets by the precinct that had written on their plywood outside either like minority owned business or black owned business something like that and my girlfriend was the one who said do you think we should make signs for Dunord?" nord like all the cocktail the cocktail room was all glass and i was like uh just thank god she had like her wits about her to think and i was like uh yeah sure i guess um sure yeah so then we bike back to the distillery i text chris and he was there already I think
1: yeah I came back I actually left already but I came back because I realized like I want to get the license I want to get all of like the documents that I can get out of the distillery before oh. I fully expected to yes. not see it the next day yeah and so I was trying to get all my stuff out
3: yeah and so my girlfriend was you know making these signs she has the neatest handwriting of the three of us So she was in charge of writing. She does
1: have really nice Chris has
3: the worst. Mine is bad, but not as bad as Chris's. But, um, so she was making the signs and then, you know, Chris and I were just putting them up in all the windows and we were, I mean, some of the signs we made on just the boxes that the bottles come in, because they were, that was like the biggest piece of white paper we had, you know, and so, but we, we put them up in the distillery and then we did not get broken into or set on fire on, on that side in the cocktail room side. And
1: so the, and that's why the original distillery survived. The, the part that didn't was the expanded part of the distillery and which we thought was the, the safer part, which, which is why we had no windows, it's no the windows. top half of one door. <laughs> yeah. and That was it. <laughs> which again, like it's just well, miscalculation. We thought that was the safest place. So we moved yeah. stuff to it and then all that stuff got wrecked. Yeah. But, but yeah, the, but for that happening, I mean, there weren't, I would, I mean, in that area, there were no standing windows. There were no No. windows left. Like, Nord might be one of the only places that had windows that hadn't been broken. Yep. And the only reason for that.
3: Yeah. Some places had people staying up outside all night protecting them with the, like, baseball bats, whatever they had. But people were there protecting their businesses, and we had just put up those signs.
1: Yeah. And those signs were as good as people standing there with baseball bats. And none of that would have happened. I mean, I wasn't doing that. Like, I would. Yeah. I was just trying to get my stuff out and like <laughs> make sure I had the licenses and things that would be hard to replace. Yeah. And,
3: well, and uh, Part of it was like, we were biking around and you just, I mean, there was a lot of time that week that I think a lot of us felt very helpless about the entire situation. Um, you know, we could show up at a protest, but like you want to feel like you're doing something. And so making those signs at least felt like we were doing something like let's do the little thing that we can do like it or might seem sort of small, but it's the thing we can do. So let's, let's do it.
1: And not a single Yeah, like, broken. And nothing, nothing happened in that space. And there was plenty of stuff to, you know, rack and, and do whatever with. So yeah, when I say that we owe the existence of Denard Craft Spirits and whatever you <laughs> might be able to do from here on forward. Yeah. um, It really is because of Maria and Kyle coming back and yeah. saving the joint. So I'm, I am and will forever be <laughs> indebted. And even if that hadn't happened, Maria would still be dope. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, we've, we've been really lucky at the to be able to attract and, you know, have really cool people to work with us.
3: I mean, and a cool boss. Here's the thing: as Chris Montana is my biggest fan, which is cool. Well, one of my biggest fans. There's a couple people that are sort of compete, but for now, probably you are. But um, but. Uh,
2: <laughs> I think you'll be picking up a few more once they hear this. I thing.
3: guess it's high <laughs> expectation. No, but here's the thing about Chris: I have worked at jobs where I have uh, objectively been more competent, had more knowledge coming in. Um, you know just just had more experience had a background in the thing i was doing where did you work before i came from working in uh non i worked with kids at a mentoring program and then i worked at a, a meals on wheels type program mm-hmm. called open arms and then i worked for a couple of uh small like food production small businesses um and so yeah immediately before Dunord, i was working at these little food production places but um but the bulk of really my work in life has been at nonprofits and just like on the people side of it. So, but yeah, I've been in jobs where I was like, I know what I'm doing. I got this and bosses were not as confident in my abilities as I come to do Nord and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I like booze. I know a little bit, I, you know, read some stuff on my own about it before I started, but I didn't come in knowing anything about distilling and you know, Chris is like, Oh, yeah, you can learn that. Yep, you're fine. You're good. Oh, yeah.
2: Well, Go this, ahead. Is, this guy came from law, though. So, I mean, it's not right. So, like,
3: <laughs> yeah. So, I get it. But sometimes. <laughs> things that yeah. anyone can do it. Sometimes I do have to be like, uh, no, I really don't know this, Chris. You should probably step in here. But a lot of times he, you know, to Chris's credit, he gives us a lot of autonomy and, like, uh, a lot of decision making. And he leads by example, in like, you know, you make mistakes, so it's okay that we do too, <laughs> which is cool. Uh, I mean, it's not, you know, usually the mistakes are, they've all been manageable so far, but like, it is, it is empowering to know that if I fuck up at work, you're not going to be, I mean, you might be mad if it was really a big thing, but usually it's like, okay, well, here's where we're at. How do we fix it? How do we move along? You're not like, you're the biggest idiot ever because you messed that thing up you're like, yeah, I understand how that happened. And here's how I would do it different next time, which is not something every boss or every leader does well, right? People don't, people are so afraid to make mistakes. And then when they make them, there's also the like, they don't know how to deal with it afterwards. A lot of times, especially at work, there's so much pressure riding on it. People are afraid they're gonna lose their job, this and that, like, I've never been afraid that I'm gonna get fired because I, you know, dropped a tank off a forklift
1: or (laughs) Like, you know, so. well, if you want people to be at least my approach to it, which has worked out so far, but we also have this tendency to hire really smart people who are really capable and usually don't. Um, well, not usually. In this particular case, I think Maria has always undersold herself. Um, but uh, you have to empower people to be able to make decisions. And the only way that people can really make decisions is if they know that everybody fucked up and if that happens um i don't know we've had a little bit of whiskey i'll stop swearing we'll try to clean this up if they know that everybody screws up right um and and that's all right right i'd rather have people make decisions and make a mistake than just feel like they can't make decisions because then that means i have to make the decisions and i know full (laughs) well that then we're going to make mistakes And so I would rather use everybody's heads and and then we have a chance of getting it right. Or we can just have me make decisions and then it's 100% guaranteed that at some point we're going to make some massive mistake. So we've, we've made it where we are because we've had, I think a number of people who get to look at things and say, yeah, I think that's dumb. Yeah. (laughs) And then like, and I mean, our products are better.
3: Yeah. Right. I mean, like,
1: and that's and that's part of it. Sometimes there's this value in coming in. I don't know what we were supposed to talk about in this thing. We're just gonna keep doing. No, it. no this, is, um, this is. But there's, you know, I've like our gin. Like our gin is better now than it was when I was the one who was primarily making it. In part because Maria would come in and be like, "Well, what if we did it this way?"
3: No, right? Maria and came like, in
1: and didn't know what she was doing, <laughs>
3: and so I made gin. Just I like didn't know. Chris, Chris, uh, and I mentioned his poor handwriting earlier, but. Your like notes were not detailed, shall I say? <laughs> For I knew, process. Or like uh yeah, I knew it was like Uh but sort of I knew what I was doing. Um so I just didn't know, like I needed like step by step, like very basic instructions and, and those were not there. So I just did what I thought how how I thought I should, you know, run the still and Chris comes in and is like, wait, how long? How many days did you take to make that gin? <laughs> and I was like, I didn't know how many I was supposed to. Oh. I think I took twice as long to make gin as Chris
1: had. Yeah, but it, and it, it better, and it right? And, and that's the thing. It's like, I wouldn't have figured that out because I would have kept doing it the way that I do. it. And having that yeah. fresh perspective of someone who can come in and, and try that. And you could look at that. It was like, oh, that was a mistake, right? It should, production-wise, like, we should have done it that much faster. But... Yeah you know in craft we're trying to make the best thing we possibly can that's what everybody is trying to do and so we made it better and so that's that's a win
3: yeah
1: and it wouldn't happen I
3: feel like I feel like your gin we were tasting some gins recently and there's some old gin though that is really good that I was like I think we should try to make that gin again
1: <laughs> well I didn't take that great of notes <laughs> Dang it! So, also, yeah.
3: I feel like I'm ragging. Chris is like being my biggest fan, and I'm just like ragging mm-hmm. on you. It's not. No, I, this we is, have, this we is pretty have
1: typical, to, right? But, it's pretty one-sided. I say nice things.
3: Know. Once you touch it. Like it's, you know, no, we yeah. have like a pretty good mutual admiration
1: society happening. I, I think that's true. Right. Yeah, that's that's legit. Yeah, that's legit. But, it is- but I will also say that there was a there was a spirit that Maria came up with, which I think was called the weird kid, and <laughs> and it was awful. <laughs>
4: yep. right. like that That's true. <laughs> so what kind bad. of
1: spirit was it
3: well here's what happened was there was a batch of weird apple and a batch of weird gin neither of which I made uh, and I thought well let's just put them together and so weird gin mixed with weird apple I mean it wasn't I'm not going to say that it was great I'm going to say it was worth trying
1: <laughs> who would have thought that an apple liqueur which had been made and we put too much booze into it uh, and, and a gin that I still don't know what went wrong with that gin. We still have like a palette of this stuff that's sitting around. We couldn't sell because it was just weird. Um, who would have thought that putting this not very good gin together with this overly boozy apple liqueur wouldn't have turned into gold? I don't know. I, so you
2: win some, you lose some. Yeah. Yep. Well, which which uh, spirits are you having the most fun with right now?
3: Uh. Well. Gin, I think, is fun. Uh, I think they're all pretty fun, actually. I mean, when people ask me which of our spirits are my f- is my favorite, like which one, I, I'm like, well, you know, Cafe Frito's so good, but I it's not like one that I would drink every day because it's kind of like dessert. Mm-hmm. And our apple is so good. But again, like our sweet liqueurs, I kind of, actually, if I had my... My way about it, I'd put a little less sugar in them, but we want to sell them to the world, not to me. So, uh but it is fun. I think they're all pretty fun, but gin we probably make the most often, and so we've been doing some experimenting lately with that too, which is which is neat. You know, you like get to try some different flavors when and when you're. You know, I'm still new to all of this, so it is right. all still fun. I would say.
1: Like you say that but you have to keep in mind there are people who have been running distilleries with less experience than you do yeah like you've been making spirits and not just making our spirits but also making other people's spirits yeah and you've been doing it for
3: years i mean i do feel like i know what i'm doing now right like i i i have a lot more confidence in that but in terms of like uh like yeah i still feel new and like there's a ton that i don't know and that i'm always learning something new that is fun and exciting because it is still new right everything's still kind of shiny and and because the you know the last year really you know the whole second half of 2020 like our brains were not on spirits yes we made them yes we put them in bottles yes you know we continued to exist and sell but like we weren't thinking about booze all day Mm -hmm. every day right we were mostly just like we were thinking about the world and just like getting the things done that needed to get done. And so it does finally feel like now in 2021, it's like, we are getting back to like, oh, okay. Like our, our neighborhood is partially rebuilt. We can don't have to worry about where I'm going to go to the grocery store. I can, you know, think about like, oh yeah, what other kind of gin might we make like,
2: yeah. Well, the FET permanency must've helped a little bit, a little bit of a bright spot in a very tumultuous two years.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing is like, you, some of these things happen in such like it's like rapid succession, rapid yeah. fire that you, you don't even like, I, I don't know that I have processed, actually let me rephrase that. I know that I have not processed 2020.
2: Yeah.
1: And how could you, right? I mean, like at the time, there was no time to sit and think about anything. No. Right? Cause it, every was day stuff there was I, a new thing we had to do.
3: Yeah. There was stuff i learned about you from reading an article because you i mean at the time everybody wanted to talk to you and you were doing all the media stuff which was good we needed that but i remember thinking like reading some article and i was like oh there's like this piece of like when you were texting chanel to get you out of the city to the suburbs like a route where i was like oh if we had had time to breathe and talk. We would have probably talked about it before I read about it in a magazine article and thought like, that was a big, but I mean, that night was the night Dunord got set on fire. Right. And so that was the night
1: my apartment got set on fire. Dunord was (laughs) set on fire the night before. And then the next night. Uh, yeah.
3: Yeah. But it was like, I think the next time I saw you, you know, like we cleaned up, we cleaned up the warehouse, but then two days later we were, you had the truck full of stuff show up at Dunord. Mm-hmm. And so we were starting a food pan, like we were becoming a, a distribution center. And so we were just like, okay, how do we do this? Let's figure this out. And I think if we had all stopped to process too, it just would have been too hard, you know? Like, I mean, thank God we were so exhausted when we got home every night. Cause like Kyle and I just, you know, it's like, we just collapsed and like, it was like, let's just get through the next day. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I remember, um-
1: You know, when I found out about FET permanency, it was a little bit later on. Um, And, but, but I mean, think about where we were, like, at some point, we had to remember that we still had this business to deal with, right? And like, for whatever we were trying to do, and this is, this is still true today, we've gone through this whole process of trying to re, I won't say reimagine what Denort is, but almost get a little more honest about what Denort is. and, you know, one of the pieces that's, that has to sit right in the middle of that is we are still a business. Like Denord's not a nonprofit. Like we, if we go away, if we're not selling booze and well, we can't do all these other things that we want to do. And you think about what that job would have looked like if all of a sudden our tax rate would have gone up by a factor of four. I mean, it's it just, you know, it would have been piling on, on top of everything else. And, you know, the people that we sold to and bought our stuff well, they were all out of business. And so, yeah, I mean, it's those little things. And I, I don't know if we're, uh, just a lucky distillery I still am not entirely sure why we exist anymore like I mean we we never had enough money to actually make it in this industry and it, there's all these times where I'm like yeah, Denorn should not exist anymore like we shouldn't have survived that and we shouldn't have survived this but it always seems to be that you know right at with the point where I'm just like ready to throw my hands up like there's something comes through, something comes <laughs> through. and there, and it's just been like that That was what 2020 was and then you know having something like the fet work and you know now oh,
3: thank god that worked because 2021 now we've had you know we're trying to do too many things at once supply chain issues are real yeah real and terrible and only getting worse and it's like oh man if we had yeah the fet not get permanently Reduced on top of all of all of the things twenty twenty one has brought,
1: just would have been like. uh. I suppose we're trying to say is it could have been worse. Yeah, trying to
3: say the very Minnesota (laughs) could have been worse. Could be worse. Could be worse.
1: Could be worse.
2: Uh Well, let's let's end on that uh, Minnesota nice (laughs) (laughs) that Minnesota nice note. Could be worse.
1: Well, I think you. the best thing about us is that we're not Minnesota nice. Minnesota <laughs> nice is a facade. Minnesota <laughs> nice is smiling people but not actually giving a shit. We have a group of people who actually give a damn. And it's yeah. the the give a damnery that they have that is really the lifeblood behind what we do. And so booze is fun and but people don't actually need booze. But the best part about Denord and I think this is where we got honest about Denord is the best part about Denord now is not just that we get to be a fun place where people can come and work and be themselves and not worry about being themselves but also that part of what we get from that is that we get to do real shit for real people yeah. and you know that that i think is not so much minnesota nice right <laughs> it's not a facade it really is a real thing and yeah. you're only getting maria here but if we had the rest of the staff here i think you'd get the same vibe yeah okay.
2: well i want to make sure that give a damery gets into the lexicon because i love that term now yeah. so
1: bring it keep using it the next podcast for everyone who's listening to this the next podcast if, if Jeff Gilletti doesn't say give a damn right then he's not true to
2: his word <laughs> you know and <no>, challenge accepted <laughs> anyway. alright well thank you so much this was amazing thanks, thanks. Hey, thanks thank for you. having
0: us that's our program for today thanks again to Chris Montana and Maria Kustritz for joining us you can learn more about Dunord at dunordcraftspirits.com and about the foundation at dunordfoundation.org over at craftspiritsmag.com you can also find a column that chris wrote for the july 2020 issue of craft spirits magazine about building a culture of inclusion we'll be back in a few weeks until then thanks for listening and cheers